Oh, somebody love the Lord. Hallelujah, hallelujah. In the Old Testament, they knew him as Jehovah Jireh, the provider. Jehovah Shalom, the Prince of Peace. But I'm thankful that on a star-studded night, the angel said, Thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. How many know when you call on the name of Jesus, you have all power? You have all authority in the name of Jesus. And I'm thankful to know his name tonight. I'm thankful to know there's power in the name of Jesus. It's good to be in church tonight. Stand with me. Let's grab our Bibles. And we're going to get right into the word of the Lord. Looking at the book of Isaiah. And we're going to go to Isaiah chapter 4. And verse number two, and we're picking back up on our series that I've entitled Storms. Everyone said Storms. And I've tried to approach this subject from a little different angle than maybe most would when talking about storms. And uh, I felt this particular lesson really burning in my heart. But I, I wrestled with God this week. I wrestled especially strong with the Lord today in prayer because my desire during this time of year is to preach a, and teach more of a simple uh, joy to the world kind of a message. But the Lord has constantly redirected my thoughts back to this passage in Isaiah chapter 4. I'm not apologizing for what I'm about to teach, but what I am doing is I'm preparing your heart. Will you open your heart to the word of the Lord? Can we open our heart to the word of the Lord tonight? And so let's hear what the Lord says regarding storms and Isaiah 4 and verse 2. If you have that, say amen. And we'll read several verses together. In that day, Shall the branch of the Lord be beautiful and glorious, and the fruit of the earth shall be excellent and comely for them that are escaped of Israel. And it shall come to pass that he that is left in Zion and he that remaineth in Jerusalem shall be called holy. Everyone said holy. Even everyone that is written among the living in Jerusalem. When the Lord shall have washed away the filth of the daughters of Zion, and shall have purged the blood of Jerusalem from the midst thereof by the spirit of judgment. Everyone said judgment. And by the spirit of burning. And the Lord will create upon every dwelling place of Mount Zion, and upon her assemblies a cloud and smoke by day, and the shining of a flaming fire by night. For upon all the glory shall be a defense. And there shall be, pay close attention to verse 6, And there shall be a tabernacle for a shadow in the daytime from the heat and for a place of refuge and for a covert from storm and from rain. Could we read verse six together out loud? And there shall be a tabernacle for a shadow in the daytime from the heat and for a place of refuge and for a covert from storm and from rain. Let's put our Bibles down 
And let's lift up our hands and let's ask the Lord to really speak to us tonight and to prepare our hearts. Lord, right now, we know that your word is already anointed. We know that your word is already powerful. But I pray that our finite hearts would be open and receptive to what you would have for us to hear tonight. I pray that we would receive the word with a good spirit, with the right attitude, Lord. Help this humble messenger to deliver what you've laid on my feeble heart, Lord. We give you all the praise. Realign our thinking. Realign our minds, God, so that we could serve you with gladness. We give you praise. We give you glory. Could you clap your hands to the Lord as a testimony? Somebody just lift up your voice and just worship him for about 10 seconds. Could we do that? Hallelujah, Jesus. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your touch. Thank you for your goodness. Minister to us tonight, I pray, and we'll give you offerings of thanksgiving. Everyone said in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for standing out of respect to the word of God. You may be seated. The word storm itself is only used 14 times in the Bible. Now, there are other variations like tempest, but the specific word storm is only used 14 times. And of those 14 times, five of them are mentioned in the prophetic book of Isaiah. Each of them gives us deeper insight into the nature and character of God, proving once again that storms are often spiritual and intensely connected to our relationship with God. In this series, we are talking about literal storms and figurative storms. How many have ever been through a real storm? I mean a real storm where your life was at stake. How many have ever been through an emotional storm where you thought you were going to lose your mind? That's a storm. Some of us have been through spiritual storms where we were under such intense attack from hell that we did not know if we were going to make it through and serve God another day. The storms of life, they have a way of sneaking up on us. They have a way of blowing into our lives, into our families, into our homes, into our minds, and even in the natural, when we least expect them to come, storms come blowing into our lives. Now before we can look closely at these passages in Isaiah, it's important that we understand the context that the prophet Isaiah was speaking into. First, as with all biblical prophets, Isaiah prophesied during a time of great spiritual and political turmoil. Isaiah was not prophesying of riches and fame, but he prophesied into a culture that was corroding and backsliding from the inside out. I want you to know you need to be very leery of prophets who only prophesy of the blessings of God. You need to be very careful with prophets who are offering promises of fame, of riches, and of earthly things. There is no such thing as a biblical prophet who prophesied that you would drive a Mercedes-Benz and have $10 million in the bank. I just want you to know it's not in the Bible and it's not of God. 
the prophets of olden days stood up and said, Thus saith the word of the Lord into a corrupt and backslidden culture. And they said, You've got to turn from your wicked ways. The greatest prophet of all time. Jesus said, This is the greatest prophet of them all. John the Baptist. His great message was repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. There is no such thing as a God-called prophet who is not willing to stand before the masses and say repent and turn away from your sins and serve God with all of your heart. I wish Apostolic Tabernacle would clap your hands in agreement with me tonight. God-called prophets have the courage to look into a wicked and degenerate culture and say, turn from your wicked ways and serve a holy God. The book of Isaiah is sometimes called the fifth gospel because almost every chapter points to Jesus. I think that's a beautiful thing, don't you? Did you know the entire Old Testament points to the coming of the Messiah? And if you go through the book of Isaiah, it won't take you very long to stumble on a scripture that is prophesying specifically of the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Are you thankful for the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ? We're in the midst of celebrating that season right now. We're in the midst of celebrating the birth of Jesus Christ. And it literally changed the world. The world has never been the same since the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. I had somebody ask me the other day, is, is, uh, are you excited about the season? And I said, I am excited, but not for the same reason that most people are. I'm not excited about the commercialism, and I'm not necessarily excited about the way people sometimes approach Christmas, but I am excited about a time of year where we can think about the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. How he came into the world, how he changed the world, how he transformed his culture forever. It's a powerful thing. And all of Isaiah points to the coming of Jesus. Even Isaiah's name means salvation is of the Lord. The book of Isaiah gives more insights into the nature of God than any other book of the Old Testament. When we first meet Isaiah... He is worshiping the Lord in the temple and he's overwhelmed by the holiness of God. He said, I saw the Lord high and lifted up and the train of his robe filled the temple. And immediately he exclaimed, I am unholy. Listen, when you come into the presence, when you truly come into the presence of God, the first thing you're going to notice is his holiness And your unholiness. If you are not struck by your unholiness when you come into the presence of a holy God, you better check your attitude and check your spirit and realign your thinking. Because when you get in the presence of God, all of a sudden you're going to realize uh, He is awesome, He is righteous, uh, He is holy, and I'm not worthy to even be in His presence. That's exactly how Isaiah felt. He was struck by the majesty and the holiness of God. And he couldn't stand. He had to get down on his knees and he said, cleanse me. Touch my lips with the hot coal. God, whatever you've got to do. And Isaiah continually reminded the people that they needed a savior. 
And that God is unwaveringly holy. How many know we serve a holy God tonight? That's more than just a platitude. That's more than just a word that we say. It's more than just part of religious ritualism to say that we serve a holy God. In the Catholic culture, they bless the holy water and all of that kind of thing. Listen, it goes far beyond just a theology or a doctrine. God is absolutely unequivocally holy it's a part of his character it's a part of his nature and you cannot truly know god you cannot truly serve god and you cannot truly love god until you understand that he is absolutely holy and it affects everything that he does and everything that he says and the way he interacts with us is based on his holiness calvary is all about the holiness of God. The fact that we are unclean and unable to come into his presence and unable to have a right relationship with God because sin came into the world and corrupted our nature. God said, I'm going to send my son a perfect sacrifice and by the shedding of his perfect blood, I'm going to cleanse my people from their sins. All of that is because of the holiness of God. You cannot approach God but by the blood of Jesus we are washed and made clean by the blood of Jesus all of that is because of the whole you can't understand Calvary you can't understand the sacrifice you can't even understand why he needed to die until you understand that God is holy the theme of Isaiah's ministry is that an unholy people must turn to the one living holy God for their salvation. Isaiah prophesied in the kingdom of Judah, and he was dealing with people who had, as the Apostle Paul would say, a form of godliness, but they denied the power thereof. They went through the motions of worship, They went through the machinations of worship. They went through the motions of praise. They observed the rituals and they kept the outward trappings of holiness. They kept the outward displays of service. But inwardly, they were completely unmoved by the power of God. Judah had become superficial, carnal, inwardly degenerate, and completely unrepentant they were content to coast off of the holiness the righteousness the faithfulness and the dedication of their forefathers they had completely lost the heart of worship that david had demonstrated they had completely lost the depth of faith that abraham had demonstrated they had lost the love of the law that moses had demonstrated They had lost the zealousness for homes of righteousness that Joshua had demonstrated. They wanted prophets who would tell them they were saved when they weren't saved. They wanted leaders who would tell them they were holy when they weren't holy. Does this sound familiar to you? It should sound familiar to you because it almost describes our culture to a T. We are living in a time where people want preachers to tell them they're saved when they're not saved. They want preachers to tell them they're holy when they're not holy. 
They want people to tell them everything's going to be fine when everything's not going to be fine. They want the preacher to play the music and and go through the motions and do the ritual and and tell me something that'll make me feel good. Just give me a little word that'll get me through the week, preacher. Just give me a little something to make me feel better. And all the while, they reject the word of God. That was the culture that Isaiah lived in. I told you this wasn't going to be a pretty Christmas message tonight. Everybody okay? They were comfortable. And they thought they would be okay as long as they showed up to church, clapped their hands, and did their little dance. They thought God would be pleased with their rituals and their platitudes. But Isaiah disrupted their denial with 40 years of uncomfortable sermons reminding them that God will never accept complacent, half-hearted, reheated worship. A holy God demands holy worshipers. I'm going to say that even without an amen. A holy God demands holy... A holy God demands holy worshipers. Lift up holy hands, the Bible says, without wrath or doubting. Some of us have come into the house of God for far too long, lifting up blood-stained hands in the temple. I rebuke it in Jesus' name. Lift up holy hands without wrath or doubting. Be ye holy as he is holy, thus saith the Lord. All right, some of you thought it was going to get uncomfortable. It's about to get a little more. Isaiah chapter 3. If you've ever read it, you know it's not an easy read. In chapter 3, Isaiah prophesies of the great and terrible judgment of the Lord that is to come upon Jerusalem and Judah because of their sin. In chapter 3, verse 9, Isaiah says that the people don't even try to hide their sin any longer. They got to a place where they had gone through the motions for so long. They got so comfortable going to church, showing up at the temple and clapping their hands and going back to live in sin on Monday. They finally got to a place where they didn't even try to hide their sin any longer. They wore their sin like a badge of pride. I'm going to tell you, we're living in a day right now where people take pride in their sin. Where people wear their sin outwardly as a badge of honor. And I want you to know it's not pleasing to God. I said it's not pleasing to God. And when you get to a place where you become so comfortable with the things of God that you can live in sin and go through the motions, it won't take long before your secret sin becomes a public sin. And the people got to a place where Isaiah said they're just like Sodom and Gomorrah. They proudly display their sin for everyone to see. They laugh about it. They joke about it. They talk about it. They wink at it. They think it's funny. They think it's cool. It's in style to live in sin. We're living in an age right now where if you just if you want to get a little attention, just do something especially wicked and the world will celebrate your wickedness. The church of the living God ought not to be celebrating wickedness. In verse 10, Isaiah says, tell the godly. And I like this. He said, listen, I've got a message for the godly. All will be well for them, but the ungodly are doomed. And they have brought this judgment upon themselves. I'd like to read 
Isaiah 3 and 16, a couple scriptures to you from the New Living Translation just for the sake of time. But I want you to notice that it was the sin of pride. It was ultimately pride. You know, pride is usually that prevailing sin that is underneath all of the rest of it. Pride will cause all kinds of other sins to fester and bubble up. But at the root of most sins, you'll usually find pride. And it was pride. The Lord said through the prophet Isaiah, he spoke directly to the people and he said this to Israel and to Judah. He said, beautiful Zion is haughty, prideful, craning her elegant neck, flirting with her eyes, walking with dainty steps, tinkling her ankle bracelets. So the Lord will send scabs on her head. The Lord will make beautiful Zion bald. On that day of judgment, the Lord will strip away her ornaments, her headbands, her necklaces, her earrings, her bracelets and veils and scarves, ankle bracelets, sashes, perfumes and charms, rings, jewelry, party clothes, gowns, capes and purses, mirrors, fine linen garments, head ornaments and shawls. Instead of smelling of sweet perfume, she will stink. She will wear a robe for a sash and her elegant hair will fall out. She will wear rough burlap instead of rich robes. Israel had become unholy, prideful, completely obsessed with outward adornment, totally unashamed of their carnality, completely unconcerned with the paths of righteousness. And God said, enough is enough. God said, if you won't humble yourselves, I will humble you myself. And then in chapter 4, rising out of the ashes of judgment, we have a beautiful passage of promise. It sticks out like a sore thumb, if you will. If you read the entire uh, book of Isaiah, as you should, by the way, you should read the Bible chronologically. When you read through verse, chapter 2 and chapter 3 and even into chapter 5, you'll notice that chapter 4 sticks out like a beacon of light in a dark world. It shines through the judgment. It shines through the turmoil. It shines through the carnality. It shines through the pain as God speaks to a remnant of his people. God will always have a remnant. God will always have a people who will say, I want to be like God. God will always have a portion of people who say, I'm going to live holy. I'm going to live righteous. I don't care what the world does. I don't care what my brothers do. I don't care if they laugh at me at Cosmopolitan. I don't care what Vogue says about it. I don't care what Hollywood thinks about it. I want to be holy because he is holy. Go ahead. Touch my lips with the hot coal, Lord. Go ahead. Purge me with hyssop, O oh God, and make me clean. Whatever you've got to do, Lord, God will always have a remnant. And God, speaking through the prophet Isaiah, said, I want to speak to my holy people. He said, in that day, after the day of great and terrible judgment, shall the branch of the Lord be beautiful and glorious. I came to tell somebody tonight, holiness is beautiful and glorious. I know the devil's been whispering to some of you and telling you otherwise, but God wants somebody to know that holiness is beautiful and glorious. 
Oh, I wish I'd get an amen on that. I said, holy, listen to me, apostolic lady. Holiness is beautiful and glorious. You know what our problem is? We have allowed culture to define beauty rather than allowing God to define beauty. And the fruit of the earth shall be excellent and comely for them that are escaped of Israel. And it shall come to pass that he that is left in Zion and he that remaineth in Jerusalem shall be called holy. Even every one that is written among the living in Jerusalem. When the Lord shall have washed away the filth of the daughters of Zion. And shall have purged the blood of Jerusalem from the midst thereof by the spirit of judgment. And by the spirit of burning. You know every once in a while you need to say Lord I need the consuming fire of the Holy Ghost. To burn the impurities from my life. Listen to me, sir. Every once in a while, you need to say, Lord, I need you to purge this lust from my life. We're living in a lustful culture, sir. You can't even walk in the grocery store without some magazine trying to entice you with lust. You know what you've got to do? You've got to say, Lord, I need the consuming fire of the Holy Ghost to purge me and burn it out of my mind. We're living in a culture where you've got to say every day, Lord, cleanse me and make me clean. And the Lord will create upon every dwelling place of Mount Zion and upon her assemblies a cloud and smoke by day and the shining of a flaming fire by night. For upon all the glory shall be a defense. How many want the Lord to be your defender? How many want the Lord to fight your battles? How many want the Lord to place a hedge of protection about you? Listen, we've been fighting our own battles for too long. We need the Lord to fight our battles. And there shall be a tabernacle for a shadow. And this is so beautiful. We read it already. And there shall be a tabernacle for a shadow in the daytime from the heat. And for a place of refuge. How many God to be your refuge every once in a while? David said, the Lord is my refuge and my strength. We need the Lord to be our refuge. And for a covert from the storm and from the rain. Now I've gone through all of this history to teach us an important lesson about the nature of God. God is not a protector of the unrighteous. God is a refuge for the righteous. If you want God to be your tabernacle and shadow in the heat, if you want God to be your covert from the storm and from the rain, then you must strive after holiness. Now listen, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to win a lot of friends here, but I'm going to say it anyway. You can't take prayer out of schools and then wonder why schools are full of violence. You can't live in lust and wonder why you live without love. You can't reject God from your political life and then wonder why politics are so corrupt. You can't worship on Sunday 
and gamble on Monday and wonder why God isn't providing a refuge from financial storms. You can't expect God to bless your finances when you rob God of tithes and offerings. You can't expect God to put your family first when you will not make his house a priority. I'm going to lose a few more friends here. You can't dress like the Philistines and then wonder why God treats you like a Philistine. You can't be constantly entertained by Sodom and Gomorrah and wonder why holiness feels strange and foreign to you. Adam and Eve wanted to eat the forbidden fruit and stay in the protection of the garden, but it doesn't work that way. Unrighteousness disqualifies you from the blessings of God. Unrighteousness not only removes God's blessing from your life, but eventually it will invite God's hand of judgment into your life as well. I think Samson's life illustrates this in a powerful way. How many remember Samson from Sunday school? Samson had great strength and power from God because, and specifically because, of his Nazarite vow of holiness. We don't have time to go into all the details of what his Nazarite vow entailed, but it was a very stringent vow of holiness before God. And because of that vow that he kept in his life, God gave him unparalleled strength among his peers. And he won battle after battle. Every time he faced a storm, he came through the storm victorious because of his Nazarite vow of holiness. God always protected him. God always gave him favor. God always strengthened his hand. But when Samson started flirting with Philistine women and coveting Philistine carnality, he lost his holiness. It didn't take him long before he started hanging out with the wrong people and participating in the wrong things. Listen, you hang out among the wrong people long enough and eventually you'll start doing wrong things. You might say, well, I can handle it. I can keep my holiness and hang out over there. Listen, if you're not going to drink, don't go to the bar. If you're not going to gamble, don't go to the casino. If you're not going to live in sin, don't get around people who are living in sin. I'm not saying don't love them. I'm not saying don't pray for them. I'm not saying be mean to them. I'm saying you better run from the Philistine ways and start living for God. It didn't take Samson long. He started getting involved in all the wrong places with all the wrong people. And before long, he had completely lost his vow and he had gone back on his holiness before God. And then he lost God's protection in battle. He shook himself, the Bible said, as he had always done. He had done it many times. Many, many times and every time in his past when he shook himself, he would feel the presence of God and he would feel the power of God coursing through his body. But this time when he had defaulted on his holiness, when he shook himself, nothing. He was completely and totally gone. Oh,
Now listen to this preacher. If you have no spiritual strength, it's time to check on your holiness. If you've lost your ability to feel the presence of God even when you shake yourself, it's time to check on your holiness. If you've lost your ability to successfully navigate the storms of life, it's time to check on your vow of holiness. You can't sing about God on Sunday and sing about sin on Monday and expect God's protection. You can't love God and the world at the same time. It's physically and spiritually impossible to love God and the world at the same time. You cannot love holiness and worldliness at the same time. Why? Because they're opposites. They are complete antithesis one to another. They're, not only that, they are at odds one with the other. It's the moral equivalence of a man saying, I love my wife and my mistress at the same time. It cannot be done. But when you walk in holiness, when you lean on the Lord and not to your own understanding, when the Lord is your strength, your shield, and your buckler, when he is your ever-present help in the time of trouble, he becomes the source of your strength, and he becomes your shelter from the storm and from the rain. I wonder if anybody could testify by lifting up your hand that you've gone through some storms, but God has been your ever-present help in the time. Isn't that a beautiful testimony? Just lift up that other hand and begin to thank him right now. Thank you, God, for being my shelter from the rain, Lord. Thank you, God, for delivering me when I didn't know how I was going to make it through. This is how I got over. I got over because God has never failed me. Because God has never let me down. Because God is a friend that sticks closer than a brother. Somebody ought to lift up your voice and thank him right now. Some of you have been through some storms. You ought to shout, thank you, Jesus. You didn't know if you were going to live to see another day. If God's ever healed your body from sickness, you ought to lift up your voice and say, thank you, Jesus. If God's ever paid your bills when you didn't know where the money was going to come from, you ought to lift up your voice and say, thank you, Jesus. If God's ever touched your family when you didn't know how you were going to make it, you ought to lift up your voice and say, thank you, Jesus. If God has ever provided just in the nick of time, you ought to lift up your voice and say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, I feel the power of the Holy Ghost flooding in this place. Somebody lift up your hands. Somebody lift up your voice. Somebody shout unto God with a voice of triumph. I didn't know how I was going to make it. I was standing between an army and the Red Sea. And suddenly, the wind of the Spirit began to make a way where there seemed to be no way. I know it looked impossible. The devil said you weren't going to make it, but God made a way where there seemed to be no way. 
I have a word from the Lord for somebody tonight. I feel like Moses standing at the Red Sea. Somebody needs to stand still. I know you're right smack dab in the middle of a storm. You need to stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. Let your faith rise up right now. I know you hear Pharaoh in the background. And I know you see an obstacle in front of you. But go ahead and lift up your hands. And see the salvation of the Lord. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. It won't be because of anything you've done. It won't be because of your wealth. It won't be because of your ingenuity. It won't be because of your intelligence. It won't be because of your good looks. It's going to be the salvation of the Lord. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Stand with me as I close. The prophet Isaiah never said would not go through storms. Nowhere does the Bible promise believers that they will be exempted from the storms of life. But Isaiah did say that the righteous will always look back over their lives and say of the Lord... For thou hast been a strength to the poor, a strength to the needy in his distress, a refuge from the storm, a shadow from the heat. When the blast of the terrible one is as a storm against the wall. And I can say tonight with blessed assurance. When I look back over my life. And I think things over. I can truly say. That I've been blessed. I've got a testimony. Because he brought me over. Because he brought me over. Because he brought me over. Because he took me through it. Because he made a way. Oh, I wish somebody would just clap your hands as a testimony right now. He brought me over. He made a way of escape. When I thought I was lost, he picked me up out of the miry clay. When the enemy said he's dead, he gave me life. Hallelujah. 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 So the righteous will always have a testimony of how God sustained them in the good times and in the bad times. He'll bring you through. If you believe that, would you lift up your hands and just begin to love him right now all across this building in closing. Lord, I love you, Jesus. Thank you for keeping me. Thank you for sustaining me, God. When I was at death's door, you were there. When I was broke, you were there. 
When I was in pain, you were there. When I was under attack, you were there, Lord. When I didn't have an answer, you were there, God. Every time, every time, every time without fail, when I look back, I see your hand upon my life. And I just want to take a moment and thank you for it, Jesus. Even when I thought I was alone, when I get through it, I look back and I realize you were there all of the time. All of the time you were keeping me. Now, I want to do this. I want to close with prayer. And I want to pray for some of us very specifically tonight. Because the reason the enemy attacks our holiness, our vow of righteousness unto God, is because he wants to rob you of the promises of God and the strength of God in your life. Even in Corinthians with the hair issue, the uncut hair for women, it's all tied in to the blessings, the protection, and the provision of God with the angels. And so the enemy attacks our holiness at every turn because he knows that's where our power is. Just like Samson, he eventually lured Samson into giving up his birthright and his power. And the spirit of the age is growing stronger and stronger each day. And I want to pray a prayer over each and every one of us that we would reaffirm our vow of holiness before God. I know it's Christmas time and we're thinking about presents and gifts and all of that's wonderful. And I promise you on Sunday morning, we're going to preach on, on a Christmas theme. But for tonight, I want to pray for us. I feel it in the spirit. Let's bow our heads. Lord, in the name of Jesus right now, I feel an onslaught of the enemy coming against the members of this church, Lord. Precious people, God, who love you. And oftentimes the enemy attacks us with confusion and disillusionment. He attacks our thought life long before it manifests itself in our outward life. I pray that you would help us to win the battle in our minds, God. And I pray that we would reaffirm this Christmas season. No better time, Lord, than as we celebrate your birth. No better time than now for us to reconfirm our vow of holiness and righteousness before you, Lord. And Lord, we truly have been called to be holy because you are absolutely and unequivocally holy, God. And so we serve you in spirit and in truth. We love you and give you praise. And one final thing, Lord, I pray for everybody right now under the sound of my voice who is embroiled and embattled in a bitter storm. I pray that you would give them peace, provision, and protection right now. And I pray that they would come through on the other side with a testimony, Lord. And I pray that they would not give up, but that they would hold on and trust you even in the midst of the storm. We give you praise. We give you glory. And everyone said in Jesus' name.